We invite you into the studio now with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Great to have you listening. Thanks for your response to this program. It's been so heartwarming and encouragement is the is the concept here, Michael, because we we do draw encouragement from our listeners. Absolutely. Uh, I don't think I could do this if if I didn't periodically, you know, hear, you know, it yeah. helped me or yeah. you know, I yeah, was confused. Yeah. It's making or, a difference. Yeah, because really, there's no point otherwise if right. it's not helping people. And let's be honest. When we get together, we spend an entire day in the studio recording several programs, and this comes at the end of a long day of recording. To be very honest. Yep. And uh, I want our listeners to know that we're really in, fully invested in this. We want yes. this to be meaningful. Yeah. But we we're praying for you, Michael, for yeah. energy because you've also been on the road for a long well, time, and for you and Joe as well because yeah. you guys put so much work into this. So. Yeah. But I am looking forward to this conversation coming up. Um, we have. Several things happening here today. Uh, Jimmy McGee will join us later. Yes. It's fun because you met him just serendipitously on a on a plane ride. Oh, right? it, just a few weeks ago, and it was it was an incredible. It's like you meet somebody, and you know, this guy's going to be a friend for the rest of my life. And Jimmy <laughs> is very much that guy. You'll meet him here on the program in the second half of this hour together. We are going to take our listeners back to Israel, where you uh, mm-hmm. is it once or twice a year you're going now. I go once a year in January, and but we usually take two groups when we do go, so uh-huh. we're pretty. So you stay for both groups, pretty much the whole month of January. Yeah. Yeah. I have some uh, some friends who have been on that trip with you, and boy, they a couple of years ago they did it, and they yeah. still talk about. it. Oh, we have a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a meaningful trip, and friendships yeah. develop there too. I would imagine that's, that's part of part of it that we didn't see coming because you spend ten days with just thirty people. We don't let the, the the group doesn't get big just 30 and uh, you go to sites together and we have meal fellowship together we do all this stuff together and people get so incredibly close that they facebook each other and you know they, all, they become they do vac- other vacations together yeah. and that sort of thing i've been looking over their shoulder on facebook and reading the comments it's yeah. fun and well we have one young lady sharon who just keep she keeps putting up it's been two or three years since she was there and that's still all she talks about on Facebook is Israel. Isn't that so great? It is great. I, I, I love that. It is great. Hey, there's another bit of news that I want our listeners to know about is that the uh, book and CD combination on Hesed is uh, just about ready to be released mm-hmm. now. Yep. Inexpressible, the mystery of God's loving kindness. It's You've been working on this book for how about long? About 10, well, 10 years. I, I, I didn't realize it was that long until I started looking at the books that I had read getting ready to read it, and they're they're all dated 10 years ago. Okay. So. It's been, been a long time. And I know how hard you've been working on this as well. Has the music come easily, so to speak? No, the music never does he come easily. He says so innocently. Yeah, no. I, I say with <laughs> so the, naively, I should yeah. say. And, yeah. It, no, the music is hard. The music part was hard. Yeah. Because um, I mean, I've written 450 songs in 35 years. And at some point, you know, you've kind of written every song. You've written every melody you're going to write. So I borrowed, I, I borrowed a, a Dvorak melody I borrowed a melody from a friend of mine, John Mock, who's one of the great composers in in Nashville. I did This Is My Father's World, so I took that from uh, Maltby Babcock. Uh, but I've got, there's some uh, new new music on there as well. Yeah, one of the new songs uh, you wrote with Jenny Owens, you co-wrote. That's right. Well, but again, see, I need help with the music. So <laughs> Jenny, uh, who is uh, such a great songwriter, such a sweet person, I gave her this lyric, and she gave me music. It's unlike any music I've ever I've ever done. Well, how about a little preview of that? Okay, right here for our very special in the studio listeners. Okay. Can we do that right now? You, we can. And this song is based on Hesed uh, ends up in two mottos uh, in Israel. One is the Lord is slow to anger and rich in Hesed, and the other one is the Lord is good and His Hesed lasts forever. And this song is based on that second one. The Lord is good. And his, his mercy is everlasting. Same it's entitled thing. simply, Come. Here's Michael Card in the studio. Come, come as you are, broken and scarred. Come leave your wilderness. And come, taste and see. Come and believe. And bring your emptiness. Surrender your fear. It is safe, there is comfort here And peace from the storm If you're torn, there is wholeness here For the Lord is good And His mercy never ending His love is everlasting, won't you come?
come, come and see, come and be free, and let your heart proclaim in all He has done, He has shown mercy and kindness. Come and be glad, there is joy you have never had, and a love that will stay that no one can ever take away. For the Lord is good, and His love is everlasting. Oh, the Lord is good, and His mercy never ending. Oh, the Lord is good, and His love is everlasting oh the lord is good and his mercy never ending won't you come beautiful co-written with Ginny owens mm-hmm. Come. That's on the new CD, Inexpressible, all about Hesed. Yeah. Worship song. I haven't written very many worship mm-hmm. songs. And uh, yeah. and it really wouldn't have come together the way it did uh, without her. Yeah. yeah. She's something else. Boy, that's a, that's a great example of partnership right yeah. there. It is. Okay, we have been talking about Hesed, but let's do a little bit of a review. Okay. How do you define it? I, I mean, this is a tough question, I know. Yeah, well, okay, first of all, Hesed... Uh, appears 250 times roughly in the Old Testament. It, it appears in all the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. Most of the time of that 250 times, 127 times, I think, is uh, in the Psalms. So mostly Hesed is something you sing about. Even when it's in the historical books, it's usually sung. So uh, 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 the majority of those 250 references, someone's singing it. And, of course, for someone like me, that makes me very interested. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah, one of the things I deal with in the book is why do we sing about things? And that's the kind of thing thing that Hesed dragged me into is I had to stop and look back and go, well, how do words work? Well, why do we sing? A lot of basic questions I'd never asked before. Um, So that's part of it. Um, it, It's translated a number of different ways. Um, Yeah. In the Septuagint, which is the ancient Greek, 3rd century B.C. Uh, Greek translation of the Bible, it was usually translated mercy. So these Jewish scholars for, for uh, uh, Ptolemy, it was for the Library of Alexandria, uh, they thought, well, most of the time it means mercy. Elios is the Greek word. Um, uh, I said before, there, there are words that have been made up and words that have been brought together. Loving kindness was a word that was made up in 1535 by Miles Coverdale. In his translation of the Bible, in first English translation, full English translation of the Bible, he did with Tyndale. Uh, loving kindness is what he came yeah. up with, which, which is kind of still my favorite. Yeah. I like loving kindness. They all apply, though, don't they? Well, n- they don't all apply all the time. Okay. Because when, when Hesed first appears, the first reference is, is Genesis nineteen nineteen. There it just means a favor. Uh, Lot asks, uh, you know, the angel, do me a Hesed and let me go to this little town and not have to flee the mountain. So it, there, it's still unexpected, and it's it. he doesn't deserve it. So that part is still there. But it's just a favor. But then in Exodus, you know, just the next book, God is using it to define himself to Moses. So it's a word that really has a, a, a vast range of meaning. I want you to do the T-shirt, do me a Hesed. How about that, huh? Yeah. I've got lots of shirt with Hesed on it, but it didn't say that. Do yeah. me a Hesed. All right. Well, we're going to zero in today on Micah 6, 8, yes. and our guest later will do the same. But your teaching uh, in Israel that we're going to listen to now uh, focuses on Micah 6, 8, and it's all about doing Hesed. What does the Lord require of the old man but to do justice, love Hesed, and walk humbly with your God? Let's go to Israel now for Michael's teaching. Just for a moment, disengage your New Testament cosmology. This is not a story about heaven. This is an illustration of Hesed. So you theological people just kind of put it in park for a second or put it in neutral for a second, okay? Because this will bother you, so don't let it bother you. Once a man was known for his acts of Hesed. He died and he stood before the judge 
who would decide whether he would go to heaven or hell. The judge offered him a unique privilege, however. He told the man he could first visit heaven and hell and then choose uh, between the two. A chariot of fire appeared and took the man off to a remote castle floating upon a cloud. There he saw a great hall filled with many tables. On each table were all sorts of delectable foods, the greatest feast imaginable. He then heard the sound of sad chanting as many people entered the hall. The people came to the tables, but they could not eat, even though they were all emaciated and very hungry. On each person's left hand was tied a giant fork, and on the right hand was tied a giant spoon. They could not bend their elbows to bring any food to their mouths. An angel said to the man, this is hell. Now let's go visit heaven. The chariot of fire then took him to another, ooh, chill bumps. The chariot of fire then took him to another castle floating on a cloud. It looked just like the first. The great hall was also filled with many tables upon which were set all sorts of delectable foods. The man then heard the sound of happy chanting as many people entered the hall. The people came to the tables but did not look emaciated. On each person's left hand was tied a giant fork. On their right hand was tied a giant spoon. They could not bend their elbows to bring any food to their mouth. As the man watched, however, the people began to feed one another. Each person picked up food and carried it to his neighbor's mouth. The angel said, this is heaven. The people make it heaven since they have found a way to do gemelut hasidim. They have found a way to do acts of hesed. That's how you make a place heaven. The man was then brought again before the judge. Have you decided to go to heaven or hell? And here's the twist that parables always have, good parables have. The man's answered, man answered, I choose hell. I will teach them the secret of creating heaven. This will be my last good deed. Is that not a cool story? Okay, here's, here's the conclusion. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. The monumental nature of kindness. Mankind, Micah 6, 8. I mean, I think we begin with Exodus 34, 6, and we end with Micah 6, 8. And then you arrange all the other three, 250 verses in between. But it's got to begin with Exodus 34, and it's got to be begin with the charge, because that's what, I have a friend who wrote a book called The Micah Mandate. He calls this The Micah Mandate. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. In Micah chapter 6, the Lord has brought Israel into the courtroom. He calls creation as his witness. He invites the people to testify as well to plead their case against him. Uh, through his many acts of mercy, God has made it clear that he has acted in righteousness toward Israel. They are without defense. What they should have done is clear. It's not burnt offerings, rams, or streams of oil. He has told them what is good, tov. One of those words that Hesed draws to itself what he requires of them to act justly, to love Hesed, and to walk in humility with your God. From the beginning, his deepest desire was simply to be with them. That was the purpose of the cloud in the wilderness, of the tabernacle in the temple. He desired to walk with them and to be their God. It was the heart of the meaning of his incarnation name, uh, Emmanuel. He commands to do justly and love Hesed. We struggle with both. If it was a matter of simply doing justly or loving Hesed, we might be able to come up with a formula, a set of rules to follow, but the two must function together. We can only do justly by loving Hesed. The doing must flow from the loving, and the loving is a response, as love is always a response to the God of Exodus 34, who is full of Hesed. Does that make sense? I think that's kind of, kind of clear. And at the, the, the God who is full of Hesed and at the same time does not leave the guilty unpunished. See, God fulfills the Micah mandate in that revelation in Exodus 34. Brian Stevenson has articulated the unity between justice and mercy in his book, Just Mercy. It's a great book if you hadn't read it. It's on the bestseller list for like the last six months. It's the finest synthesis of these two concepts I've ever read. In the context of working with those who are on death row, he discovered the secret of loving Hesed. Mercy, he writes, is most transformative when it is directed at the undeserving. That's the piece we don't get. Mercy is most transformative when it is directed at the undeserving. The power of just mercy 
is that it belongs to the undeserving. In Jesus of Nazareth, God was perfectly just and perfectly merciful. Through him, he fulfilled the promise to not leave the guilty unpunished by placing the punishment on Jesus in an act of pure and perfect hesed. I stand before the cross of Jesus and I say, I have no right to expect anything from you and yet you give me everything. See, so the cross is the perfect act of hesed. Jesus did justice by loving hesed. See, Jesus did justice by loving hesed. He gave himself so that we might be conquered by the kindness of God, a kindness that leads us to repentance, says Paul in Romans, that draws us to the cross. It all fits together. That moment in time makes doubting the loving kindness of God impossible, the cross. It was the supreme moment of tukan ulam, of healing the world. Get it? I mean, the supreme moment of healing, of repairing the world is the cross of Jesus. As Frederick Buechner said, it's not too good to be true. It's too good not to be true. Hesed it is all around us in every moment through acts of unselfish kindness. Some of them are extravagant, like Keisha Thomas um, uh, saving the life of, of a man who had devoted his life to hating her. Some at first uh, seem to be smaller, like Dinah reaching out and taking hold of my hand, but they are really no less extraordinary and life-changing. Someone risks the, the opening the door of his her, or her life to you. In spite of yourself, you forgive an enemy who is not even seeking forgiveness. These moments strike and something deep within us resonates. We've talked about that. Often we discover an unbidden tear in the eye when they do. This is what the world was created by and this is what we were created for. The final challenge to you and me is to take whatever understanding we have in our heads of Hesed and allow his spirit to move it into our hearts, to enter into the world of the word Hesed and then to take that world into our world. Is that too complicated? To enter into the world of the word Hesed and then take that world into our world, back to our families, to our churches and towns. The scriptures are offering us an imaginable opportunity to make Jesus believable and beautiful by offering everything to those who have a right to expect nothing from us. In the end, it's not about some ancient, simple, three-syllable word. It is about the world of Hesed. It is about entering that world with an informed imagination and allowing that world to enter and transform us by developing an instinct to do kindness. Just like Moses, we must summon the courage to ask God to teach us your ways and show us your glory. Because that's what he said when God showed him Hesed. As a final exercise, I'm almost done. As a final exercise of listening to the word with all of our muchness, most especially to this single untranslatable word, Hesed, let's integrate what we have seen from the passage we've listened to into one final defining statement. And what I did, I took all of the major, uh, at the end of each chapter, I had a statement of the context. And here's a big, long definition from looking at all these passages, okay? So here's, here it is. Hesed is a defining characteristic of God. It is linked to his compassion and graciousness. It is expressed in his willingness to forgive wrongdoing and to take upon himself sin, rebellion, and the wrongdoing of his people. As an expression of his loving kindness, he allows his people to experience the consequences of their sin, as he promised Moses in Exodus 34, 7. Even this is an expression of his hesed, to let us suffer for our sin is hesed. God can be approached boldly based on the confidence we have in his revealed nature. He is amazingly kind and loving to his servants. He is delighted to show us kindness. Due to this, we marvel that no other God is like our God because he's a God of Hesed. That's the Solomon part. The scope of Hesed is expanded in the context of worship. Here comes the Psalms part. It is most often sung as our hearts resonate sympathetically to the one who created us in his loving kindness. However, when the reciprocal nature of that hesed has been violated, we are encouraged in the imprecatory Psalms to offer our feelings of anger and outrage, trusting in the hesed of the one who knows our hearts and will stand in solidarity with us 
and act on behalf of the poor. We didn't look at Psalm 01, but that's the context from Psalm 109. That's when David says, you know, kill him because of your hesed, because this person who was supposed to care for the poor killed the poor. And uh, so David assumes that God is just as angry with this man as David is. So he lifts up his anger as an act of worship in Psalm 109. Uh, Hesed is a standard to which we can appeal. We can appeal to God on the basis of Hesed, which David does it all the time. We understand that we can ask, beg, and expect to receive according to the standard of God's Hesed. Here's the last statement. In light of the fact of our inability to keep any of the covenants, God is great. This is the Jeremiah piece. In light of the the fact of our inability to keep any of the covenants, God has graciously granted to us a new covenant based solely on His faithfulness. That covenant came into effect and will be sustained by means of a person Jeremiah refers to as the righteous branch. My all-time favorite movie is an adaptation of a book of one of my favorite writers, Oliver Sacks. It's called Awakenings. It tells the story of the author's experience as a young experimental physician who pioneered the use of the drug L-DOPA to awaken patients who'd been comatose for decades. One by one, they awoke, and sadly, later, one at a time, most of them fell back into coma. It's an exceedingly powerful book and film. In one scene, Sachs, magnificently played by the late Robin Williams, is weeping as he's forced to watch his patients lap back into oblivion. A nurse who has been his sole supporter in the hospital sits beside him as he weeps. Sachs uh, says, You told me I was a kind man. How kind is it to give life only to take it away again? This always makes me cry. Nurse, it's given and taken away from all of us. Sachs, why doesn't that comfort me? Nurse, because you are a kind man. It, uh, it would be remiss of me not to mention the profound cost associated with doing Hesed. It's vital that we realize that embracing Hesed, developing an instinct for doing it in the world, inevitably means an encounter with wounded, woundedness. That's why I put that scene in there. Ours and the world's. Of course, we are right to anticipate moments of profound joy and a deep sense of fulfillment, but to take lightly the cost that is involved would be a mistake. The backgrounds and the linguistics, the biblical passages are all fascinating, but the doing of Hesed is something else altogether. Uh, That having been said, Micah 7.18 reminds us that God delights in doing Hesed, and so should we. We can base our expectations and have confidence because of this word. Hesed can shape our prayer life, our experience of worship, and most especially the posture we take as we engage with the world around us. We must become Hasids, not simply those who go about doing good works, but rather men and women who are completely dependent upon the Hesed of God, conquered by His kindness, reborn to a life of unconditional love. That's it. Misunderstood and undefined, a stranger to myself. Incarnate contradiction, I am poverty and wealth. I can believe and disbelieve, I can bless and I condemn. I'm dying in the darkness of not knowing who I am. Then rising like the morning sun, the light begins to speak In a voice that's vastly strong and still so infinitely weak It's roaring like a lion and it whispers like a lamb It's thundering that who you are is wrapped in who I am Possess 
the kingdom, you're the sorrowful, the meek, the gentle starving ones who are the strongest when you're weak. Making peace each time you suffer for what's right. You freely offer mercy from a heart I filled with light. To everyone who's lost, he gives a new identity that's grounded in the kingdom and a new reality that's found in loving kindness and a mercy that is free. You can become the child that you were always meant to be. comes through the seasoning of your life. Remember when the darkness looms, you were meant to be the light. A light that can't be hidden, or we'll see it from afar. This is who you are. Coming to the halfway point of this session, and we hope you'll send us your song request and a story about its significance for you. You can send your comments or questions to us through our website. Go to michaelcard.com and scroll down to find contact. We look forward to reading what you post to michaelcard.com. And could you help us get the word out about this program by posting a review? Your opinion matters, and we'd appreciate your feedback to get the word out about what you found. And you can extend the impact of the teaching you've heard from Michael. Check out his insights through his weekly blog, his books, his music, and Bible conferences. Explore all that's waiting for you at michaelcard.com. And in the second half, more great music as we open up the studio audio archive. And we'll spotlight the ministry of a new friend, Jimmy McGee, and hear about his work with the Impact Movement. Right here, in the studio, with Michael Card. Join us for a classic edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. We'll open up the program archives and present a session recorded at the Mole End Studio. The Bible teaching, guest conversations, and studio music performances are some of the most inspiring times when we gathered in Franklin, Tennessee. The instruments are tuned, the Bible is open, so make sure you join us. Look for the post and invite other like minds to hear the podcast. All the details at michaelcard.com. in the studio, we're going to hear Ben Johnson sing for us. Let's, let's tell everybody who Ben Johnson was. Oh, uh, I need an hour to tell you who Ben Johnson was. <laughs> ben Ben was the first black teacher at Moody Bible College. Uh-huh. Uh, he taught Old Testament, but Ben planted churches, and he uh, had a prayer ministry, and he sang spirituals, and he sang opera. There's not much that Ben Johnson didn't do. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, Ben, our next guest, Jimmy McGee, Ben bought, brought Jimmy uh, McGee and I together. Okay. Uh, Jimmy had known Ben in Philadelphia. so We'll get into that story in a yeah, moment. But yeah. let's let's listen to Ben sing oh. uh, the song Walk With Me right here. It was recorded on one of our earlier programs several years ago. Right, back at Moland. Before Ben went home to be with the Lord. Yes. Ben Johnson. I want Jesus to walk with me. Amen. 
in sorrow, Lord, walk with me. When I'm in sorrow, Lord, walk with me. All the way from Jesus to walk with me. I want Jesus to walk with me all the way from earth to heaven. Lord, I want Jesus to walk with me. to walk with me. I want Jesus to walk with me all the way from earth to Dr. Ben Johnson, how privileged we've been to know men like Ben and yeah. so many others. Huh? To have a person like that in your life, you look back, of course, look look back now, although I don't think we took it for granted. We weren't taking it no, for granted no, when we were with him. No, but, you couldn't. I mean, you really couldn't with yeah. him. But what a, what a, yeah, you're right. What a treasure. Yeah. Well, recently when you came to Chicago, you got off the airplane and you wouldn't stop talking about a couple of guys you met on that airplane. Yeah, we're standing in line and um, just talking to two guys. And and, uh, one of them, Jimmy says he was from Philadelphia or had some connection to Philadelphia. And I said, oh, did you you know Ben Johnson? And both of them just lit up. So uh, uh, we we sat together on the plane and basically talked the whole way. And I was. I was so excited when I got here from Philadelphia to here. I was so excited. Jimmy is president and CEO of the Impact Movement. What is the Impact Movement, Jimmy? The Impact Movement is uh, an interdenominational Christian nonprofit campus ministry to that targets black students across the United States. Uh, not exclusively, but essentially because black students are an unreached people group uh, on our college campus today in the United States. An unreached people group. Now, come on. Explain that. Well, uh, I am. I mean, yeah. I grew up. I went on staff with InterVarsity before this role some years before, and we would talk about the 1040 window Uh and the opportunities to share our faith in nations that uh, rarely talk about Jesus and Bibles are rarely distributed. Uh But um, when I took this job in Impact three years ago, I started looking at the the land and the marketplace of who's reaching black students. And so I started looking at the number of organizations like ourselves, Ivy, Crew, Navigators, Young Life, and uh, I juxtaposed those numbers with the numbers of black students in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and 2014, 2015, when I arrived, uh, there were 22 million college students, 14.9% black, 3,154,000 black students in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And among all of the peer groups like the Impact Movement, our numbers were only 7,300. Wow. That's 0.24% wow. of 1%. Now, we know there's Baptists and the, the other groups that are church denominations, but it appears that we're, we're not having much traction to attract and reach. And the idea is to reach means we go into spaces where they live instead of bringing them into the spaces where we live. Where does the disconnect happen, Jimmy? Because, I mean, they, don't they come from a family that's historically rooted in the church? You know, historically, if, if, if you'd have asked me that question 20, 30 years ago, I would have said yes, that the, the black church just has a fingerprint in the lives of the black community. But even when I was some years ago on campus, I began to run into some black students who weren't international or global. They were really homegrown from the United States. Mm-hmm. And some of them had just began to have some familiarity with the name of Jesus, wow. but no idea of who he is. 
I think in today's situation, there's a lot of reason why there's a lot of resistance, some, some sense of dissonance with the idea of Jesus because of the status of what things are happening in our society. Yeah, you know, if, you, if you'd asked me about that about the white community of college kids, I wouldn't be surprised at all uh, if you were to say, yeah, a lot of kids, they, they don't even know who Jesus is, don't even know the name. But um, so, it, it, so it's good to be brought back because I'm thinking 20 years ago. I'm not thinking now, so um, that's where you're living. Yeah. Yeah. What are, you, what are you able to do, Jimmy? Well, you know, uh, we're, we're on a variety of campuses. We're on historical black campuses. And what we're able to do, we're able to do a variety of things. We, we engage some of the similar topics. We share our faith uh, with our friends. We have large groups where we invite people in to listen to us uh, wrestle with Scripture and wrestle how it makes sense in our lives. Uh, and then we also have some events. We have conferences all the time, and uh, this current year is a national conference for the Impact Movement, where all of our chapters, and not only that, we hope for students outside of Impact to gather with us in Atlanta for us to really review the Scripture and really see what does it mean for us to literally, no pun, have an impact in our world right now. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us some stories of, of how it's working and lives that aren't being impacted. And how you got there. Yes, well, you know, last year we had an exceptional experience that we invited uh, a woman that, you know, I check in pretty regularly, and if uh, she doesn't, I'll text her. Her name is Jennifer Pinkney, and she's not a common name. She's not a name that most people have heard or experienced like a Ben Johnson. The reason why she's in the marketplace today and the reason why people are so familiar with her is because of her husband. You see, she was in Emmanuel AME Church when Dylan Roof came and visited Ooh. her husband and parishioners for a Bible study. Wow. Um, when it was all over, this young man killed her husband and eight other people mm. in the audience. Mm. Wow. She was there holding her six-year-old daughter. Oh, man. Um, we know today that this is an ongoing issue for our students because they're trying to reconcile not only knowing God, but does God really care about such trauma? And they're seeing it so openly, and no one's doing therapy. Uh, and so she's going to be at our national conference. Mm, wow. And she's going to share this story. And then we have Dr. Margaret Weaver, who's going to come up right afterwards, who is a, a Christian psychologist, to help us on a mass level, because the trauma is not isolated uh, on an individual. It's a collective trauma that mm. we have mm-hmm. to help us sort through and begin this journey of how do we go through this, because trauma is not the act of the offense, it's the memory. It's the memory that takes a room in our being, and our minds, and our emotions, that keeps us trapped, and scared, and awkward. And what we hope to do is talk about how God, how Jesus, speaks through this issue, recognizes uh, this trauma. It's more classic to Psalms 23, 4, where it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or darkness, I'll be with you. Mm. He says he'll protect us from evil, and that his staff uh, will, will, will keep us safe on the way to a great meal in the next verse. Mm. And so that's what we hope to share with our students, and what we find our students are attractive to that kind of message. So, so Ms. Pinkney sets it up in terms of this is how to cope with such a tragedy in light of the gospel? Yes, yes. Yeah. Wow, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> Well, Jimmy, we want to talk about Scripture with you as well. And Michael and I have been thinking about Micah 6, 8 and wondered if you want to delve into that with us here today. Oh, great. I'd love to. Well, we'll, we'll follow your lead, man. We've been, just to set you up, Jimmy, we've been talking a lot about Hesed. What does the Lord require of you, O oh man, but to do justice, love, Hesed. And we've talked some about Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy, and uh, that the best way to do justice is by loving Hesed. That's, that sort of sets you up with where we've been thinking. Well, you know, I think this verse is spot on. This to do justice, to love Hesed, I believe that's kindness, mm-hmm. and to walk humbly with your God. You know, these kind of characteristics, if we would embrace that, it really demonstrates to us that knowing God is not an individual basis. Mm. That it's a collective opportunity that God weighs in, and our devotion to Him is the way we also interact with each other. It's not an either or. It's not even a first second. It's really a both and. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it, it's connected, if we go to New Testament, the idea, how do you say you love God, who you've not seen, and then hate your brother, whom you have seen? Mm-hmm. And he, and John is a little bit more forthright and say, you're a liar. And this idea, this is a positive affirmation, and that we are required, what does God require of you? To do justice and to love kindness. And in today, a civility seems to be something that is almost, um, uh, out of sync with today's reality. Yeah. What does it mean for us to love us? What does it mean for us to be kind to each other? It doesn't really matter what you say to me, how you say things to me, mm-hmm. but the issue is, can I reciprocate? As a person born of the Spirit who loves Jesus, how can I reciprocate to you to demonstrate a way of civility, a way of kindness that is really supernatural? And in light of this, especially for the impact movement, uh, this is really a verse that our students are really hungry for. This is not a seasonal thing. This is a longitudinal verse. Mm-hmm. This is something that's measured by distance, measured by walking. Yeah. It's not an experiment or an extraction like you go to your annual exam to check your blood pressure. This is something of a lifelong walk that is being expressed and should be deepened and widened. Uh, as we grow in our faith. Mm. That's where we see it. And actually, that's one of the characteristics I would tell you that we share with our students. We, one of our new values that we've added is a thing called stewardship. And immediately everyone thinks about money and paying off debt and, and maybe 401Ks or 403Bs. Mm-hmm. We tell students that our walk with Jesus, when we talk about stewardship, we talk about stewarding space and time. And that's what I think about when I see this verse. Mm. How do we steward the space that we live and the time we're in it so that these verses come out in our witness of knowing Jesus? Well, do you think the, 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 the um, uh, loving Hesed is a, is a surprise to most people when, when, the, when the discussion begins with justice? Um, and, and that's what I took away from Brian Stevenson's book. This, the big surprise is... Um, that you you do justice by loving Hesed, and so he has the phrase a just mercy, um, and, and to me that's the the Bible is always kind of a surprise. Uh, that was a, that was a big surprise to me anyway. I see justice and Hesed as two different things. I don't see them as flowing together that way. Yeah, you know when I when I see it, and I think of Brian Stevenson, uh, who you just mentioned, he actually spoke at our conference last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing that I think about when uh, of his book, and I look at this because I see these. You remember in Ecclesiastes talking about the three chords mm-hmm. that are unbroken, can be broken. I see it that way when I read this verse. But I think the whole idea of kindness and justice, when you read Brian Stevenson's book, the one thing that kicks out to me is our proximity to injustice. Mm-hmm. So when we're distant from it, then we may not see this correlation. But when we change our proximity, our uh, space, and we get close to this, then we see that places of injustice also need kindness. So does it have to become relational before you see those things? Is that what you're saying? Uh, I think it needs to have relational, but I think it also it need, we need to get out of this idea of detachment. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think what we do, we, 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 we chop everything else. You know, i got friends of mine, when they eat dinner... They like to separate all the food on their plate. They can't stand the vegetables and the protein and the starch to touch each other. Mm-hmm. It disrupts them. Mm-hmm. But really, the fact of the matter is when we eat it, it all is together anyway. Mm-hmm. I think that's the problem that we have. We, we, we separate things so distinctly that we don't really see the attachment the way God sees it. God sees it as an attachment. Mm-hmm. God doesn't see it as distinct values. He sees it in a sense of oneness, almost like... The Trinity. Yeah. Well, when he reveals himself in Exodus 34, that the first part of that revelation, the first word out of his mouth actually is compassion. Then he says, has it a couple of times. That's the first part. Then the second part is, but I don't leave the guilty unpunished. So there's this, even in his revelation to Moses, you know, he's covering his hand, uh, Moses with his hand, Moses in the cleft of the rock. Even God has this perfect integration of of. Uh, compassion and and chesed and kindness, and I don't leave the guilty unpunished. So there's justice there, and he does it perfectly. I mean, he, and he always does. Yeah. And and the two things I would say, just like you said in Moses, 
you look at what Jesus is doing on a cross, mm. right? He is dealing an issue of justice by resolving the sin issue. Yes, yes. Yet yes. at the same moment, there's compassion. Yes. And Father, forgive them, for they really don't know what yeah. they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so this is really indicative of this. And see, to me, I think this is the reason why I'm a follower of Jesus and I love him dearly. Mm. And why I would encourage anyone else to follow Jesus is because God, in the life of Jesus, which is so profound to me, he has never, not one moment in my life, asked me to do anything that he himself has never modeled already Mm -hmm. in the Scriptures. When we're talking about forgiveness, we're talking about loving justice. I mean, you look at it, it pours out in his relationship with Zacharias. Mm -hmm. The sin is, I'm sorry, Jesus, I knew you wouldn't come meet in my house, but I've done some unjust things to people, so I'm going to pay everybody four times off. His presence, his Mm -hmm. compassion, his love... He never, ever, he demonstrates that from Exodus 34 all the way to the cross. He gives us a pattern of living that what it means, though, for me, is that it moves from propositional truth Mm -hmm. to orthopraxis. And that's the term we use when we do our training. We talk about orthodoxy. Yes. But really, the issue of today's life as a believer is orthopraxy. Yes, yes. It's not what you believe, it's how you live it out, how it comes through your pores. Okay, I've got one. I've got one more question in the time that we've got left because when I heard that the phrase come just so naturally off your lips, and I love him dearly when you're talking about Jesus. So I, I know that a big part of Impact's ministry is is helping to uh, teach kids how to share their faith. It's just in 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 a in a in a few minutes, can you tell us how you do that? You know, we do it in such a variety of ways. We tell our students to be attentive to everything around them. So sometimes it's a campus issue, and oftentimes it's looking to see who's sitting by themselves in the cafeteria mm. and walk by. Mm. And are you willing to go over there and introduce yourself and be a friend? So the reality is we want to meet them in their space. Isn't that what Jesus always does? So that's orthopraxy. That's orthopraxy. Yeah. Hey, Jimmy, can uh, people learn more about what you're doing, your ministry online anywhere? Yeah, if you go to impactmovement.org, you'll learn a lot. Uh, again, I would like to really just invite People, if you have some black students, junior uh, in high schools, all the way up to college or grad school, uh, consider coming to visit us at uh, Impact 18. Uh, it's a question we're asking who will arise uh, as we study the Book of Esther, and they will meet Mrs. Pinckney there December 27th through January 1st, and that is impact2018.org, and the other is impactmovement.org. Excellent. Jimmy McGee, President and CEO of Impact Movement. Uh, boy, this is, I'm so glad that you two met on that airplane, Oh, me right? too. Me too. I'm <laughs> was, glad this happened. It was great. Jimmy, thanks so much. God bless you, man. Oh, thank you, and it's a privilege to be with you. Mike, maybe we'll see you again, and maybe I'll be in front of you on the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mike, let's wrap this up with your song, Freedom. You want to introduce this to us? Yeah, this, this is a song that was talking about orthopraxy. This was written um, in response to the needs of one of my my kids uh, who was struggling, my son Nathan was really struggling, and uh, Susan and I were trying to, you know, think how do we fix this kid, you know, which is not the right answer. And uh, what I realized was that we, she and I, especially me as his father, I needed to be free to to show Jesus' love to him, to uh, forgive him, to uh, be free to. Uh, of the, 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 the burden of trying to fix him and just love him well. So that's where this song came. All right. It's called Freedom. Michael Cart in the studio. I am lost And I am bound And I am captive to The shame that keeps on Holding me down And all I need To be found is freedom I am tired and I am dying and I am trapped inside a cage I've made of hopelessly trying but the door would open and I'd be flying if I could find freedom Freedom, freedom, 
born All the losses that we mourn Cry out for freedom Freedom Prison walls And bolted doors Something keeps on telling me that I was made for more That there is someone Who can restore My freedom Michael, a fitting song to conclude this session in the studio with Michael Card. If this time together has been valuable for you, please take a moment and pass along your comments or post a review of this podcast. You can pass along the link for this podcast to a friend. Search for Michael Card on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on Spotify. And send your comments or questions through us through our website. Go to michaelcard.com and scroll down to find contact. We look forward to reading what you post to michaelcard.com. You can also access Michael's weekly blog, learn about his conference ministry, and other ways to expand on what you've heard in this session. We're found at michaelcard.com. For all of us on the team, Ron Davis, Lauren Kosky, Lance Mansfield, and our producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to this edition of In the Studio with Michael Card.